the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. It's about life in the Spirit. It's about the Spirit-filled life. The Holy Spirit is mentioned only once in Romans chapter 1 through 7, outright, he might say. But the Holy Spirit, He, it's a He, not an Ed, He is mentioned 20 times in Romans chapter 8. The chap- Romans chapter 8 is about born-again life, a life lived in the Spirit. And that's why we call this message today, New Life and a New Way of Thinking. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my life. Dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into, all the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth, that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues to walk us through the book of Romans, and today we'll be switching gears for the next several messages as Pastor Keith focuses on Chapter 8 of Romans with a series of messages that he has entitled, New Life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us today to the book of Romans, Chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you. Freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, death, and hell. Uh, temporal freedom, Lord, in this world, uh, assured through good government, Lord, assured through uh, an imperfect country, Father, but perfect ideals, uh, Lord, that are derived from your word. And so, Lord, we remember the men and women who have given their lives for two centuries now uh, to keep us free. Help us to be faithful to those ideals, Lord. Help us above and beyond be faithful, Lord, to you as the aliens and strangers who are just passing through this sinful world with a gospel message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we return to our study of Romans. We've been off for a few weeks. If you're just joining us, we've had a little uh, respite. After Easter, we wanted to deal with some questions that new believers or unbelievers who are in the worship service may ask and answer in their own minds, but we're back in Romans. And Romans really is all about understanding our faith. Because if you understand the book of Romans, if you understand what is taught in the book of Romans, you understand Christianity. And so today, uh, we turn to our study of Romans chapter 8. Now, how did we get here? Well, we started in 
for those of all of us who can count, right? Romans chapter 1, which is about salvation being the power of God to save. The gospel being the expression of God's will to save to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. And then we moved into Romans chapter 2 and that we saw that God is no respecter of persons. Everybody needs salvation. And the Jews received the word of God first, but the Gentiles, the non-Jews, by God's common grace, had his law written in their hearts and their consciences, accusing and excusing their behavior alternately depending on what we're due. We understand that nobody is without excuse. Romans chapter 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but salvation is a gift, which brought us into Romans chapter 4, which talked about salvation, talked about how we are saved, not by works of righteousness that we do, but by God's grace, an undeserved gift given that we receive through faith. And Paul writes, referring to Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham, before the law was given, believed God, trusted God, and it was counted to him, credited to him, it's an accounting term, as righteousness. And then we moved into chapter 6 and realized that we were set free from bondage to sin, that we have freedom in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Once we were unable not to sin, now we're able not to sin. Regrettably, because we live in broken bodies with bad appetites, we still do. And then in Romans chapter 7, we discussed our relationship to the law. A lot of people want to unhitch from the Old Testament. They want to unhitch from the moral law of God. But the reality is, is that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to our knees before a holy God because all of us know that we cannot meet God's perfect standards. And so the law was a means of condemnation. And then as we work through Romans chapter 7, we also saw that our relationship to the law changes after salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. And after that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to observe the law, to strive and to struggle to keep the law, and it becomes sort of a liturgy for life. It becomes a roadmap to reality. It becomes a means of sanctification. It keeps us humble, of course, because we realize how sinful we are and how good God is. And then that brings us to Romans chapter 8, which is where we are today. And Romans chapter 8 is a life-changing chapter, rightly studied, rightly understood, rightly appreciated Romans chapter 8 is an incredible chapter. It's about life in the Spirit. It's about the Spirit-filled life. The Holy Spirit is mentioned only once in Romans chapter 1 through 7, outright, you might say. But the Holy Spirit, He, it's a He, not an It, He is mentioned 20 times in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is about born-again life, a life lived in the Spirit, and that's why we call this message today, new life and a new way of thinking. Now, this was not the message I originally intended to preach today. So call this, you know how on movies you have prequels, you know? So this is all Romans chapter 8, but this is a prequel to what I was going to preach. Because I've been working with a number of people who are going through really difficult times with their families. I think the toughest thing for a believer sometimes isn't the world, but it's the family. And we have people that we love who professed Christ And now they just seem to have gone off the rails. And a lot of times there's two reactions. There's denial, which is, well, they're saved and it's okay because they're going to go to heaven anyway because they made a profession of faith when they were four years old or three years old or five years old or ten years old. And no matter how they live today, they made that profession. They trusted Christ or they believed on Jesus or they asked Jesus into their heart. And so it's okay. I don't need to worry about it. Then there's the other who is just grieved and said, how does this happen? What is going on here? 
And you know, it doesn't just happen with, with kids, it happens with adults. And at the moment, I'm having a senior moment, there was a famous hymn writer who apostatized. And he, he's written hymns that churches have sung, and then he just turned. And he went off the rails, living a life of debauchery and, and denying God. And, and what we are left to wrestle with is, how does this happen? I remember my, my own profession of faith, my first one, uh, November of 1972. I was at a Christian junior high school, and they had a chapel every day, and they had altar calls every day. And I remember answering an altar call because I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to be like the people around me. And I mean, if you're a child and somebody says, do you want to go to heaven or hell? I mean, what do you think the answer is going to be normally, you know? And so by all outward appearances, I lived like a Christian for three years. And then I changed schools and was out from under the restraint of that school. And uh, I lived like what I was, a pagan. You see a lot of times with statistics, 75% of students, when they leave, when they graduate high school, never return to church. What happened? What's, what's wrong with the church? It's not what's wrong with the church. It's what's wrong with our understanding of salvation. When you read beneath those statistics, and Barna doesn't always publish those as clearly as we'd like, the parents weren't engaged. They weren't preaching the gospel day in and day out. They weren't emphasizing church, this, that, and the other. And what you had was a Christianized pagan who grew up in a Christian home and was a cultural Christian. And that's what I was. I was almost 30 when I came to Christ when I realized, when I realized what a sinner I was. And so we come to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to add two verses just to be thorough, uh, 13 and 14. Uh, And what we have here is a picture of the life lived in the faith. What we have here is a picture of the born-again life. You know, when you have an encounter with with the God of the universe, with the saving, sanctifying God that is, the all-powerful, almighty, when you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're never the same. And it begins a life of spiritual growth. Now, that growth may be like the stock market, kind of volatile at times, but there's always an upward trend. And what Romans chapter 1 through 8 and verses 13 and 14 teach us is just that. And what we have here is something that I think will help us to come to grips with the world that we see around us, with the children that we love or the spouse that we love or the parent that we love and why they don't seem to be interested in God anymore. And so... Let me just read for you Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, verses 13 and 14. There's the good news of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And the word law there deals more with a principle or a condition. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Watch this. For the mind set that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what I want to do today is to take that passage and and, and distill and derive uh, 
some conclusions from what it's teaching. When you look at that passage, what we see is that we are forgiven. There's no condemnation on us in verse 1. In verse, verses 2 and 3, what we see is that we are free from sin and death. We're no longer in bondage to sin. What we see in verse 4 is that we are li- enabled to live. We are empowered to live. We are given the ability to live according to God's will, God's word, God's law. And what we see in verses 5 through 8 is the change in our nature that occurs. And you see that too spoken of in verses 13 and 14. And what we have here is a picture, a contrast between the saved life and the unsaved life. The language of the text, and I'm not going to get too deep into the grammar today, is not talking about if you, if you do this, this is, what will, this is what will result. It is saying if you are dead, you will die. If you are alive, you will live. It's not about works or anything like that. It's about indications of where you stand in eternity. Properly understood, today's passage is about life in the Spirit and life outside the Spirit. And that's why we subtitled it, Don't Expect What Cannot Be Expected, because sometimes we expect our unsaved loved one, colleague, relative, son, daughter, mother, father, husband, wife, to live like a believer. Well, if they don't have the Spirit, they can't, and they won't. They will not persevere. They will not endure They'll get tired, they'll wear out, they'll stop playing that game. And a lot of times it's not that they're trying to deceive us. They've been raised in a Christian home. They've been Christianized. They may speak, speak Christianese, but they don't have eternal life. And so I want us to understand, first of all, our first conclusion here that we want to draw from this text is to realize that there are only two kinds of people in the world, just two kinds. The saved and the unsaved, those who are in Christ and those who are outside. And we see that in verses 3 through 5. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The gospel, God sent his son to die for us, to change us from the inside out. And then look at this description, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, in contrast, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They have two perspectives. Those who are oriented toward God and those who are not. Those who are saved and those who are not. And their conduct is discernible. That's what's going on here. You know, we've said before there are only two religions in the world, right? We've been through that we've gotten through that there's a religion of human achievement where I do things to make myself right with God and there's the religion of divine achievement what God does for us the people over here are saved the people over here are not saved and as Jesus said you know a tree by the fruit it bears and what we have to see here in the text is that there are those who characteristically although imperfectly albeit imperfectly live lives oriented toward God seeking to follow Christ, not sinlessly, not perfectly. It's not that they don't have dry spells, but their heart is geared toward Jesus. And there are those who are not. There are those who struggle and strive to follow Christ, and there are those who do not. There are those for whom Christ is important, and there are those for whom Christ is not important. We have to come to grips with that there are only two types of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. And the saved have eternal life because they have surrendered to Christ. They have embraced Christ. And the unsaved, some call them the unregenerate, do not have eternal life because they do not have Christ. It's very simple. It's very simple. Here's a succinct statement of that fact in 1 John 5, 11, and 12. 
Different translations render it differently. Some say, and this is the record. Here we see, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Just two types of people. Those with the son, those without the son. There's no middle ground. You're either in the kingdom or outside the kingdom. That's why it says in Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, are geared toward, are oriented toward the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. And it doesn't mean that they're not religious. It means that they're not related to God. They are not motivated or driven by God and his word. Their ultimate agenda is not Christ. They may go through the motions. They populate pews and seats and chairs and committees and churches all across the world. Where do we see that? We see that demonstrated for us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? Remember we went through the Sermon on the Mount, successful kingdom living. And in Matthew seven twenty-one to 23, we read this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, it's talking about the, the day of judgment, many, doesn't say a few, doesn't say a handful, a couple, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy or teach in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty things in your name? And then verse 23, which is one of the most chilling verses in the Bible, and then I will declare to them, this is a judgment, I will declare to them, it is a statement of fact, I never knew you. That means you were never connected to me in any way, shape, or form. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now we look at that and go, well, but they taught and they, they served and they did this and they did that. But you know the problem was? It wasn't what God wanted, it was what they wanted. Their motive was their own. They had no interest, no conscious, determined, settled interest in doing the will of God. You see that sometimes when you ask somebody who's serving over here to serve over there and they get mad. That doesn't mean they're not a believer, but it means they've got a problem. These people have a big problem because there's only two types of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved, and there are people inside the church who are Christianized, who are cultural Christians, who are in church because mom and dad were in church, grandmother and grandfather, who have grown up in the church, who haven't even understood the gospel, and they're just going through life. And at the end, the end is not very happy. They claim Christ, but Christ doesn't claim them. They say, Lord, Lord, and he says, away with you, depart from me. How would we know, how would we know that they weren't with Christ? Well, part of that has to do with just the way they live their lives, their relationships. You know, a lot of times when I talk to folks, and and I'm not judging, let me just be clear here, I'm just taking the scriptures and applying. Somebody says, well, you know, my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter, my niece, my nephew, whatever, my aunt, my uncle, is dating an unbeliever. I'm like, well, how can that be? How's that possible? Well, you know, they really kind of like each other. And the, Yeah, but isn't your daughter, granddaughter, grandson, aunt, uncle, cousin, whatever, a Christian? Yeah, well, how could they elevate that person over Christ? I mean, you, you see things, you start to see trends. Or, you know, I just can't get them out of bed in the morning. They're just tired. They've been in school all week. And they don't have 90 minutes to devote to God on Sunday. I mean, you have to think about this. You don't want to be naive. You want to use common sense. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You don't see giraffes running with lions, right? 
because they have nothing in common. It takes you to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, which is the command to be careful about your relationships and your agendas. It says, do not be unequally yoked, bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership, now I want you to watch the different words that God uses here. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What accord, what agreement has Christ with Bilal, that's the devil? What portion, what share does the believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God said, I will make my dwelling among men, among them, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. When you look a lot of times, you see people caught up in all kind of crazy agendas and crazy relationships, and you're wondering, do, did they understand? How, you know, I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at it right now. You know, I have these, uh, these three states that have pretty much overturned the abortion laws, and some, of the, some Christians are like, yeah, well, I'm just getting tired about that. Well, you know, abortion is the largest civil rights issue in the last 200 years. You know, and, and you're just tired of that or dating an unbeliever or getting caught up with a, with a group of people who, who are anti-God. You know, I, I, how do you do that? I don't know. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. But this is how you spot it. You know, you may have grown up in a Christian family. You may be a behavioral Christian, an ethical Christian, or you may be playing a game. But the bottom line is, if God is your agenda then that's an indication that you belong to him, which really brings us to our second observation. Observation number two is this. Understand there are two types or two inclinations. And if I were to do that again, I would say there would be two tastes or two appetites. You know, carnivores eat meat and herbivores eat everything else, right? And meat. There are two appetites here. And in Romans 8, 6 through 7, you see that delineated. For the mind set on the flesh, the mind that hungers for the flesh... The mind that has acquired a taste for the flesh is death. It doesn't say it leads to death. It's dead. It's dead. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You see, it has no interest to do that. And because it has no interest, it has no ability. It's just wired differently. Each soul has its own guidance system or spiritual GPS the flesh or the spirit. And each guidance system steers it in a different direction. One lacks the interest in God. He, they may give an outward assent, they may, but you know what? When they're tired or they just don't feel like it, they just don't come to church. They just don't serve. They just don't give. They just don't whatever, you know? And church is just one more thing in the schedule. And they don't even want, here's the thing. It's not so much about being in a building. It's about being with God's people, and worshiping God together as family. Imagine saying, I don't want to go to my mother's funeral. I'm sleeping in today. I don't want to go to the memorial service. You know, this is, there's, a, there's an appetite or desire issue there. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. These are tastes, these are conditions, appetites driven by identity. One wants time with God, another goes through the motion. Generally speaking, you'll see it. You'll see it really develop and uh, metastasize over time. First, they're excited, and then they're ambivalent. And then they get mad because you try to talk to them about it. They get defensive. You're judging me. No, I'm loving you. 
I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.